0: you're listening to connection churches podcast good morning how's everybody doing They good 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 to see you glad you're here excited about today and excited about the second week of this series framework um and uh excited about the things coming up in august as you know people start settling back in from vacation and from uh, all the things that go on during summer and school starts back. And then a couple of weeks after public school starts, we get the college students back. And that always brings a lot of energy, um, into the church. So I'm excited about the things that are coming up in the church, but I'm also excited about what God has for us today. I've been excited about preaching this message actually for about two weeks now. And so I'm looking forward to getting into it. Um, as we look at this series on, uh, called framework, what we're looking at is the fact that, um, we know as Christians, as followers, um, when we believe, um, that, that, the foundation for everything is jesus he's the only foundation we can build our life on and so here's the thing that we understand that as we build our life on christ the gospel is really what adds the framework to this structure it's what we do it's how we live i'm not a part of our life but our whole life and that's what builds us up in christ it's what um takes us from that moment of salvation and and begins to uh make us into the trophy of grace that we become at the moment that we accept jesus And so we're looking at that in in a lot of different ways. Um, And we're looking at this through the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 9. If you have your Bible there, um, we're going to be going through the next uh, four weeks now coming up. Uh, We're going to be going through uh, Matthew 9 and then into 10. So if you want to read ahead, you can. Today we're going to begin in verse 14. And I want to just read this small section of Scripture that we're going to talk about today. And then I'll pray and we're going to get into it. Um, Matthew 9 verse 14. It says, Then John's disciples came. That means John the Baptist. His disciples come to Jesus, and they asked him, meaning Jesus, "How is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast?" Jesus answered, "How can the guest of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time it will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast." And he says in verse sixteen, "No one shows a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment." making the tear worse. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. God, I do pray that this would be not just another Sunday, but God, it would be a day that we encounter you, Lord. Um, God, if we don't encounter you in a fresh way, then we wasted our time, and God, that's what this is about encountering you, knowing you, getting closer to you, God. It's not about the lights and it's not about guitars and it's not about the speaker, it's about you, Lord. And we ask you to speak to our hearts this morning. Let us hear your voice, God. Draw us closer to you, um, God. Um, let, let our hearts be uh, refreshed, God. Um, made new, God, again and again through the power of your spirit. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we praise you, God, for being good to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, how many of you, maybe you took, um, some type of vacation this summer? Anybody take a little bit of a vacation this summer? Maybe if it feels just for a couple of days. You maybe did something. Um, a lot of people take vacations. Um, a lot of people, uh, go off and, and take and do a lot, you know, to go on vacation. We usually drive down to Florida for, um, a week and then, uh, that's typically our vacation. And I was thinking about a vacation this week and I was thinking about how, um, the point of the vacation is actually enjoying the destination, right? the place that you're trying to get to. I was thinking about that. And I was thinking about, you know, if you come back from your vacation and the thing that somebody comes up to you and they say, how was your vacation? how did it go? What, it, how, how, how did, you know, what did it look like? Tell me about it. And then you go, well, this is what we did. We got in the car and we drove and then we had to stop and we put gas in the car. And then we were on this four lane road for a long, long time. And then we came home. And like, if the best part of the vacation for you was talking about what got you to the vacation, it would not be a very good vacation, would it? Not very good at all. How about this? How many of you like to grill, right? How many of you like to eat what's on the grill? Yeah, that's me um and how about if you you were going to grill you're going to smoke some meat and you go and you buy these, these this rack of ribs that you're going to smoke and and you get them and you get them seasoned just right and you put them on the grill and they sit there for hours until that you can't even get them off the grill because they fall apart you know what i'm talking about that's good stuff right there right and and, and you can't even pull and then you put them on the plate and then you're like all right that's good i'm good and you never eat them right? And the, the best part of the day was preparing the meal. It wasn't actually eating the meal. It was preparing the meal. And the point of the day became preparing it, not eating it. The thing I want you to see in this is that many times um, what we do as a church is we focus on the thing that gets us to the destination, that gets us to the place where we can eat um, of spiritual food. And we focus on the things that get us there, not the place that we're actually trying to get to. And so when we go on a vacation, we don't come back and talk about our best part of it was the car ride. Typically, that's not true, right? We don't talk about the preparations that we make um, in order to get ready to eat the food. Many times in Christianity, though, we don't really focus on Jesus. We begin to focus on everything that God gave us as a means to get to experience Jesus. Is that tracking with anybody? Anybody? nod if it, if it is. If it did not isn't, I'll do it again. All right. But, but many times we miss the point, and especially in Southern Christianity, come on, in the South, um, especially in the South, this is what we do. We begin to focus on all the things that are intended to be means of experiencing God rather than on experiencing God. So that everything we do just becomes about this religious thing, this ritual, this ceremony that doesn't really bring us closer to God because we're focusing on the thing that was intended to help us experience God. These means of grace, these things that we do in order to experience him, like reading our Bible, like praying, um, all of these things, these are things that so many times we miss the point of what we're doing. For instance, look at this again in Matthew chapter 14. It says this, it says, and John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples, they don't fast. And so here's the first thing I want you to understand. I'm going to give you three things today, three things that I believe we miss the point on many, many times. I believe many times we end up frustrated as Christians because we miss the point so many times. The first one is this out of verse 14. So many times the ceremonies and the rituals and the thing we do become the point. And we end up frustrated. Look, you see John's disciples. These were people who were following John the Baptist. Like he was a big deal, right? You see John's disciples come. And they say, how is it that the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't fast? What they don't even understand. They don't even know why they're doing what they're doing. They're just doing it because they they were told you fast, right? Why is it that we fast and you don't? The point of fasting was so that they could um, set aside the world, right? For a while. So they could take their eyes off the world and they could put them on God. But here's the crazy thing about it. God was standing in front of them and they didn't recognize him. And so the point of this is not just to fast, to fast, the point of ritual, the point of going through worship services and Bible studies and and reading the word is not so that you and I can um, do the ritual It's so that we can encounter God. How many times do you come into church on Sunday morning? And it's just because it's the thing that you're supposed to do rather than coming in so that you can encounter Jesus. Right? How many times do we go and we read our Bible just because it's the thing that we know we're supposed to do as a Christian rather than going to it with an expectation of encountering God? You know, for me, this is, this is true because it's easy for me to go to the Bible and just look for another message, right? I have to go to the Bible to, to encounter him. So many times the ceremony, the ritual, the spiritual disciplines even become the very thing that becomes the point rather than a way that we get to encounter God. It's why for many of us, our relationship with Jesus is stale. It's why for many of us, our relationship with Jesus maybe once burned hot, but now it's grown cold. And what we need to realize and what we need to understand is that these are ways in which we are to come and encounter God. The Bible says that the Word of God is living and active. It means when we interact with it, it interacts with us. We have to come to it with this mindset, with a heart that says, I want to experience God. We come into worship and we sing these songs we're not coming in just to sing songs because that's what we do at church. We're coming in to worship the living God who saved our soul. And that makes us not want to just come in and look at the words, but we actually sing them. And we don't just sing them because everybody else is singing them because we're supposed to sing them. We're singing them because that's our heart's cry. That we realize that he is our peace, that our peace has come. Not only peace with each other, but peace with God because his wrath is no longer on us because by faith, we've accepted the substitute of Jesus who took our wrath, Right? And so here's the thing we need to realize. We're coming in to sing and we're coming into worship to experience God. We're reading reading the word to experience God, not just to go through the motions. And when we come in to do these things that I would call spiritual disciplines, you know, you think about discipline you think, oh man, that even sounds kind of bad. We should probably come up with a better word, right? Because typically we think about discipline, we think about getting whipped with a belt or something like that. But what we need to do is we need to realize that spiritual disciplines are good. They're good because they help us encounter God. And the thing that many of us have experienced is just going to church to go to church. We've experienced just doing it because somebody told us to do it. And and we weren't really experiencing the end goal or that final destination, that point that we're supposed to get to of experiencing God. We were just experiencing things that were intended for us to be able to encounter him. And so the thing becomes the point, listen, if the best thing of a vacation is is the car ride, if the best part of grilling is preparing the food, then you probably wouldn't want to go on a vacation again, would you? Probably wouldn't want to cook ribs again, would you? But when we realize that the point of it is to be feasting with Jesus, is to encounter God, is to be in his presence, then all of these things take on new life because we know that they're not the end, they're a means to an end of experiencing God. Anything that we do that is is a ritual, anything we do that becomes like a ceremony, that becomes something that we just do out of habit, listen, it has a danger of losing its meaning and purpose. So that where we begin to read the Bible to encounter God in the beginning, it it has a danger as it becomes a ritual, as it becomes habit, as it becomes something that we just do because we know that as a Christian, we're supposed to do it, it. There's a danger that it loses its meaning. We come in and we sing and we attend church for 20, 30 years or, or for two years even. And we come in, it has a danger of losing its meaning. The reason that we started doing it in the first place. It has a danger of losing. Prayer has a danger of losing its purpose and its meaning. It can become very superstitious. Um, something that we just do hoping that we have a good day, hoping that nothing bad happens. And it loses its meaning of actually connecting us to God. And so what we need to realize is that all of these things have the danger of losing their meaning. And when something loses its meaning, there's some things that begin to happen. One of them is this, that it, it goes from um, being some way to connect you to God to being something that is done to please people rather than encountering God. Haven't you seen that in church? Haven't you seen that where church becomes about how we look and who sees us rather than encountering God, right? That's one of the first things that turned me off from church is I would go and I would usher at church. I would, I would, and, and I was usher. I wouldn't even say but I'd go and I'd usher, I'd go and pass the plates. And then all the guys I passed the plates with would leave and go to the golf course, drink beer, talk about women and gamble, right? I'm like, heck, I can do that without being an usher. And so, and so we realized that this is something that just was to please men. It was something that they could be seen. It might be, make their business better, right? And so they would do these things. I mean, it can also become something to ease our guilty conscience. Hello, Right? Man, I kind of screwed that up. I better go to church this week, right? And listen, listen, that's a place to be, right? You, you should, but not for that reason, right? And not, not to try to somehow appease God by your church attendance. We should be coming to, to church to, to experience God, not to be coming in to try to get some kind of Band-Aid for our conscience. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't have to come to church to repent. You can do that on your own. But it becomes something that can ease our guilty conscience. For some, it becomes an attempt to rekindle a past love affair at best. And at worst, a monument to this love grown cold, right? It's something that we do in hopes that maybe I can walk in and something will happen. Maybe if the preacher's good enough, maybe it'll work. Maybe if if the band hits hits it just right, maybe it'll work for me, right? And for some of us, it's just something that became habit. And so we just show up, just literally, religiously, we just show up but there's no experience of God. And Jesus says this, when they ask him about this, Jesus counters them with this. He says, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he's with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. Jesus is saying, listen, here's the reality. God's with them. The point of fasting is here. So why would they fast, right? Why would they do this? Why, why would they, why would they fast when the point of the fast is standing right in front of them and they're talking to him? And so he's telling them, listen, you're missing the point. And I wonder how many of us as Christians have missed the point. And maybe we've just treaded slightly away from it for so long that we just don't even realize it. Maybe it's something that has just been a slow drift for us because Jesus is saying that this should be, this relationship, this encountering of Jesus should be the same as when um, a bridegroom uh, the, or the groom to us throws this party. See, for a week, they would party. For a week, they would have this throwdown where they would get together and they would celebrate. It was, for many of them, it was a highlight of their life because these were oftentimes poor people who set aside everything for this one week. I read a quote this week I wanted to share it with you about what the wedding uh, banquet looked like and, and what this um, party would actually be. And it says this, it said, at a Jewish wedding, open house was maintained for a week. So this was a week long party, right? Some of you thought you'd been, to parties. This was a week long party. It was a time of rejoicing and hospitality, dancing and fun such as might rarely come into the lives of poor people. And it was all paid for by the bridegroom. It was free to all comers. What a description of the kingdom Jesus came to usher in. And when I read that, I was like, how many of us could substitute our walk with Christ for that? Like, how many of us could say that our walk in relationship with Jesus is all about rejoicing and hospitality? Wow. (laughs) It's all about rejoicing and hospitality. I don't know. That's not... I don't think... Did I do that? All right, dear. But how many of us could say that our relationship with Jesus... Y'all see, I just picked right back up there, didn't you? Could say... That, that it's, it's about rejoicing with God. It's about encountering him in a way that leads us to rejoicing, hospitality, to fellowshipping with him. Not just a point of, of, of something that we have to do to, to feel good about ourselves or to feel good about life um, or to feel like maybe our karma is right so nothing bad happens, right? And, and so here's the thing that we, we, we miss so many times. We miss the dancing and the fun. We miss this fact that when we encounter Jesus um, and we're walking with him in fellowship, Jesus wasn't some stick in the mud, right? He was, he was, he loved, he loved to have a good time. He was fun. He wanted to be around people. There was dancing, there was fellowship, there was hospitality, there was rejoicing. He says, such as rarely came into the lives of poor people. Do you know we were all poor before we came to know Christ? Spiritually, we were poor. And now we have the opportunity to be made alive in Jesus, to walk in his Um, in his joy to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, the love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and all of those things that come with the Holy Spirit. We have that opportunity as poor people who've been made rich in Christ. It says it was all paid for by the bridegroom. How about that? Jesus paid the debt that we couldn't pay so that we could have this fellowship with him. And now when we encounter him, it's rejoicing, it's fellowship, it's dancing, it's fun, it's knowing him, it's knowing God. And it was free to all comers. See, anyone who desires Christ has Christ. Anyone who is drawn near to Christ, Jesus doesn't turn them away, but he invites them in to fellowship with him. And he says, what a great description of the kingdom Jesus came to usher in. What an awesome picture of this festival, this fellowship that takes place when we come to know Christ. But many of us are frustrated and, and, and we, we, we even think this way. This is such the typical southern way of thinking that the greatest goal we have um, entering heaven is what? The avoidance of hell, right? I want to go to hell. Like, like you could probably get every one of your children to say that they want Jesus in their life. All you have to do is told you just before, turn the oven on hot, stick their hand in there and go, do you want to spend eternity with that? <laughs> They're going to say, no, then you need to accept Jesus. Okay. Right. But that's not what it's about. It's not the great goal of, 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 it's not the avoidance of hell it's to be in the pure presence of God. And see, here's the thing, if you don't enjoy being in relationship with Jesus now, if you don't want to be close to him now, if you don't, your heart isn't, I want to be around him now, you're going to hate heaven, right? Because that's what it is. It's the pure presence of God. It's finally being in front of our king, purely in a right relationship that, that there's no hindrance to, right? And this is the goal. But many times we confuse the point with our destination. We confuse um, the ritual for a relationship. We need to come to a point where we get that straightened out and we begin to enjoy the Savior. See, a spiritual discipline is something that helps us move closer to God, our Bible reading, our worship, our prayer, meditation, all of those things. But many times we fall into what we would call legalism. Somebody that tries to uphold the law in order to please God. You ever been around a legalistic person? It's not very fun because they're trying to listen spiritual disciplines are to enjoy the love and the grace and mercy that God has already given us legalism is when we try to earn the love the grace and the mercy of God legalism is when the law the rules the do's the don'ts become the point rather than the experience with Jesus right and so we need to be careful with that the second one is this it says in verse 16 No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Here's the second mistake that we often make and the reason we're frustrated is because we believe we can patch Jesus into our life. We can just take a patch of Jesus, a piece of Jesus, and put a piece of Jesus into our life. Now think about this. How many of you, when you were coming up, and probably none of you that are under the age of 30, maybe 35... How many of you, um, when you were growing up, you wore jeans with patches on the knees? Anybody? Absolutely. Because as as a little boy, I tore the mess out of some jeans. Was that a little embarrassing? I'm just going to ask you. Anybody that wore them, was that a little embarrassing? It was a little bit embarrassing for me, right? I was like, can we not get some new jeans? Because you got on these these jeans that are faded, and they weren't purposely faded. They were faded because you wore them a lot, right? And, And then you had these bright blue patches on the knees. And I was like, good gosh, I look like a knit. Now, you know, you buy them with the tear in the knee. And I, I'm like, okay, things have changed, right? And, and, and so it was embarrassing. But this is kind of what Jesus is saying. Like, you don't want to patch up this old garment. You don't want to patch it up. It was a warning from Jesus saying, you can't just patch me into part of your life as a patch on your garment. You can't just put a patch of me there you can't just take jesus and patch him in with judaism you can't just take jesus and patch him in with with uh, your regular way of living he's saying listen there's a whole new garment that you get i was thinking about this and something that i wanted to show you today um this is a quilt that actually i believe my mom and my grandmother made a long long time ago and if you look at it um It's really kind of pretty. And all of these different colors, these different sections are different pieces of cloth that they took and they sewed together and they made this quilt. But so many times, this is how we do our Christian life. We take a patch, um, which we would call our Christianity. We take a patch that we would call Jesus and we take, got this whole big quilt and we just stick him right here. And he becomes this patch of, of our life. And if this represents our whole life, he's one patch of that quilt. And the thing that I would tell you and the thing that you've got to see today is that Jesus is not a patch that you put on your life. Jesus is the thread that holds the whole thing together. He touches every part. He touches every aspect. We can't compartmentalize Jesus into our life. That's exactly what he's saying. He's saying there's no part of your life that I don't touch the way you raise your kids, the way you act on Saturday night, not the way you act on Sunday morning, right? And so we got to realize he touches everything, even our money. Oh, my gosh. Yes, your money. Because Jesus knows that money is the number one competitor for your heart. He knows that where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Jesus isn't poor. He doesn't need your money. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. He wants you to be a giver so that you can remember that it's not about money. It's about him. And so here's the thing. He's the thread that touches every area of our life. He's not a patch that we put. He says, listen, that if you just put a patch on that the old garment, it's going to tear and it's going to be worse than it was before. And I've seen this so many times because I've seen people who take this patch of Jesus and they just try to patch him into their life. And you know how they end up worse than they ever were before? They think, I've tried Christianity and it didn't work. Now, what you try to do is keep your old life and have Jesus too, and it doesn't work that way. It only works when you take the whole garment and you put it on until you surrender everything and say, Jesus, cover me completely. But why would we want patched jeans, right? When Jesus is willing to give us a new garment. But so many times we think that just taking this patch and putting it on our life somehow makes it better. It's somehow going to fix everything. But healing doesn't come that way. Um, Forgiveness in our hearts doesn't come that way. Forgiveness comes when we experience the true forgiveness of Jesus and we put on the new garment of salvation that he gives us. Not taking and putting some patch in our life. But so many times what we do is compartmentalize Jesus. Jesus. We think that if, as long as I've got my God peace here, everything else can be mine. But when we come to Christ, we're coming and we're saying, you have it all, everything. See, that's the lordship of Christ. We love the savior aspect, right? That he saves us from our sin. But there's the lordship of Christ. That we surrender our lives completely to him. Not as a piece, but as a whole. And we begin to walk that out with him. As he's calling the shots and we're no longer calling the shots. See, for a lot of people in here today, the time for patching is done and it's time to put on the new garment, right? Because we've been walking through church life. We've been walking through life. We've been walking in this religious atmosphere, um, all of our lives maybe. And yet we've never really put on the garment of Jesus, the salvation, the righteousness of Christ, We've never said yes to that offer that he gives us of making us whole, making us clean, of forgiving our sins. This is really a picture of salvation. Jesus is saying, listen, unless you envelop this completely, unless this envelops you completely, it's not going to help you. It's not going to make a difference. It's not going to change things. The question today is, have we made Jesus the Lord of our life? Or has he just been a part of our life, a compartmentalized section of our life, a patch, like a patch on a quilt in our life? Or is he the thread that holds it all together? The third one is this. He goes on and he says, neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. This one I want to explain a little bit more, but the third one is this, you can write this down, is that we only get half of the truth. We only get half of the truth. It's a little bit like the the garment in that we just, we kind of just want to put a piece of it in, but what Jesus is saying is that this new truth that's coming, this new teaching, this new understanding of God that's coming, is too big, it's too vast, it's too awesome, it's too amazing for you to be able to stuff it into your old way of thinking. You you can't just stuff this truth into your old way of thinking. Basically, what he's telling them, unless your mind begins to change, unless it begins to be renewed, and you're able to receive this truth of Jesus, then then you're not going to get it. It's not going to work. Because the temptation was for them to want to take some of Jesus' teaching and just put it into what was already there. And he said, listen, this, this power of this forgiveness, this power of new life, um, this power of, um, of uh, mercy that God's bringing through me, and this atonement for sin, here's the thing, it's going to blow you up if you try to contain it in what's, what you've been doing, because it doesn't fit in ritual and ceremony and all of that. We need the structure, we need programs, we need all of those things, but those are all things that are a means to getting us to where Jesus wants us to be. And what he's telling us is this, this truth doesn't fit in your nice, neat rows and columns. This truth is a truth that encounters you where you are in your, own, in your real life and begins to change things. But you have to come to a point where you're no longer seeing it out of this religious mindset. And the way you're seeing it is you're seeing it through the eyes of Christ. That's why I believe Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks so much about us renewing our minds. We've got to begin to think like Jesus. we got to quit thinking that we can somehow structure Jesus or program Jesus. And, and it's like this. We trust people. We trust God so many times as a church to bring them to salvation. And then we don't trust God to help him grow up. We think if we don't do every single thing in their life, listen, this is, this is how I came to Christ. I, I realized I was a sinner. I realized I needed forgiveness. And I said yes to Jesus and the gospel. I had a Bible and I said, you know what? I should probably read that. Right? I was like, you know what? The Bible says to give. I should probably start giving. Like, well, you know what? The Bible talks a lot about community. I should probably meet with somebody regularly. And you start doing what the word of God says, right? And we begin to let this new truth begin to shape our minds. But we have to put this into a new paradigm. We cannot fit it into our old ways of thinking. It doesn't work. This Listen, our ways of thinking have to be shaped by God's word. We don't shape God's word by the way we think. It's a big difference. And so we have to come to that place of seeing this. Because what begins to happen is we begin to actually put our faith and our trust in um, what we do. Not who he is. See, Jesus isn't something else to do. Jesus is someone to know. And that's what he's calling us to, is a relationship with him. Not to miss the point, the main point of him, by focusing on all these other things. So many times what begins to happen is these outward religious actions that we do and we begin to think have power. Um, listen, they disappoint us. It's why so many people end up going to church all of their life, but they never really experienced Christ. They never experienced the power of God. So here's the thing that I can tell you is I can't, I, I don't have the power to change you. I don't have the power to preach a good enough message that's, that changes your heart. We're completely dependent on the Holy Spirit. And my question to you today would be, is your heart open to receive the truth of God? For some of us, it's the truth of, of who Jesus is. See, I see a lot of people today who are physically alive, but spiritually dead. As, as I walk around, as I watch TV, as I listen to the radio, there are so many people who are physically alive and spiritually dead because they'd missed the truth of Christ. And that's maybe where you're at today is you need to receive the truth of Jesus. That he did die for your sins. That he did take those away. That he did die on a cross. That he did go in a tomb. That he did come out three days later. That he is alive. And because of him, we have the promise of eternal life as well. For some of us, we need to receive that truth and become spiritually as well as physically alive, right? And we need to come to that place. For others, listen, we've been we've been uh, spiritually born, right? But But for many of us, it's just grown cold. It's one of those things that we're, we're spiritually alive, but we're living as though we're dead. We can't say that our relationship with Jesus is is defined by rejoicing in him. We can't say that our relationship with Jesus is defined by fun and, and, and even dancing with God, right? I know some of you don't dance. I don't dance either. That's okay. You don't have to dance. But enjoying him, right? And living in that relationship. And so for many of us, we, we miss that. And we're spiritually alive, yes, but... We're living as though we're dead. We're not enjoying God. And when this begins to happen, the power of God is replaced with this empty facade, right? It's just an empty facade. Because, and this is why so many people don't want to go to church today, is because when we took them to church, we told them, listen, we want to introduce you to God. And if somebody walks up to you and tells you that, you're like, oh my gosh, yes. But then when they walked in, all they found was nothing. They were disillusioned. And the thing we've got to have is that people, listen, we need to be bringing them to a relationship with Jesus, not doing something else, giving them something else to do. That's not what this is about. The end is encountering Jesus in and of himself. So many times what we begin to do is we, we neglect the truth of God, the big T truth of God. Because we have focused on so many other things. This is one of my greatest fears with this church is that somehow we would drift into this place of focusing on other stuff, especially as we build a building. I think about that and I'm like, Lord, do not let this become about a building. Lord, do not let this become about a band. Lord, don't let this become about the next big thing that we can do. Lord, let this remain about you. When we speak, don't let it be because we can somehow formulate a message that people like. Don't let it be because we tell stories and, and, and try to keep people entertained. Don't let it be that God. Let it be through the power of your Holy Spirit that speaks. Because listen, we can have all the stuff. We can do all the things. But at the end of the day, if we don't have the power of God, we've got nothing. I believe it was Billy Graham that said 95% of what is done in churches today could be done without the Holy Spirit. I think he knows a thing or two about that. The reality is, I don't want us to be a church that depends on what we can do, how we can organize, how things look. I want us to be a church that's dependent on the Holy Spirit, that's dependent on God, that's seeking after God. And I guess that's what I want you to hear today and what I want you to take away today is that we don't need more church as we've known it what we need is encounters with Jesus what we need is to encounter the truth of God in a way that transforms our hearts and our lives what we need is the Holy Spirit working in us shaping us, changing us not to be a church that's just satisfied with coming in and going out but being a church that is in passionate pursuit of Jesus and those that he loves that's what he's called us to He hasn't called us to play church. He hasn't called us to just be up here singing songs and and teaching messages. He's called us to be transformed into his image. When we look back on this, I want us to be a church that's been faithful to that. That's been faithful to do what God set out to do in the first place. He didn't set us out just to be a big church. He didn't set us out just to be another place where we could go sing songs He didn't set us out to be a place that if somebody feels like they got to go and spend an hour on Sunday, I'd rather go spend it there. He set us out to be people who are in passionate pursuit of Jesus and see if this is going to happen these things have to happen in our life we have to quit missing the point and we have to begin to pursue Jesus we've got to get to this place where um, we're not just content with trying to patch Jesus into our life but we're willing to say Jesus you have all of my life if we're going to do this we have to get to a place where we're not willing to just say I'm I'm, I'm just going to take some of the truth I believe about Jesus and and try to stuff it into this system or this mold I'm going to take Jesus and I'm going to give it my mind my heart everything to him to receive this whole truth because see here's the thing until we're willing to receive the whole truth about Jesus we can't live the way Christ called us to live here's the thing I want you to understand today is that many of us come to this place where we believe the truth about who Jesus is but we have a hard time believing the truth about who we are we have a hard time believing the truth about who Jesus says we are And today, the big T truth I'd like to get into you is something to deal with you, you overcoming many of the thoughts you have about who you are. Because until you become what God has called you to be or until you believe you are what God has reshaped you to be, you'll never be able to live the way God's called you to live. See, until we see ourselves as forgiven, we can't live as forgiven. Until we begin to, to see ourselves as forgiven, we can't live apart from condemnation. Until we begin to see ourselves as a child of God, adopted into his family, we can't live as a child of God. We've got to see ourselves that way. And this begins to happen when we receive the truth and we begin to understand this truth. See, both of these analogies of the wineskin and, and the, the shrunken cloth, they've been such good news to people like Matthew, who we talked about last week, because they wanted to be made new. But many times I think we just want a patch or we just want a piece of the truth because in the heart of hearts, we don't think it's that bad. And so we just think a little bit will do, but the call of Jesus is to surrender it all. And that's what I'm challenging you with today. Would you surrender it all to him today? Would you let him have it all? Have you? Or has he just been a patch in your life? Have you given it all over? Are you trusting in the truth of Christ or is it just a part of your life? I don't want us to get into this trap of just Southern Christianity, American Christianity, status quo. I want us to be a church that does passionately pursue Jesus. That has a heart to go after him and after those he loves. We can't do it until he becomes the point of our life, until he becomes all of our life, until his truth has reshaped our way of thinking and our way of being and our way of doing. I just want to do, I'm going to pray. If today you don't know Christ, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and today you can make that decision. He's, he's invited you to a relationship with him, just as we saw last week with Matthew. Jesus would say, come and follow me. As I told you today, anyone who desires to come and follow him, he doesn't turn them away. He says, come. And he invites you into this relationship with him. If that's you today and you want to say yes to that invitation, when I pray, I'm, I'm going to ask you to just get up. If you want to take somebody with you, sit next to you, that's fine. But our prayer teams will be here to my left. You're right. And they're going to be there to receive you and pray with you. Um, today, if, if you come to this place where you say, you know what, I've only patched him in and I'm not saved. I don't know him then you go and let them pray with you. Let us walk with you. Today, maybe you're at a place where you realize that um, there's areas of my life that he doesn't have lordship of, and I need to give those to him. Then this is what I would say. I would say, let us pray with you. Let us talk to you about that. Let us share with you. Let us walk with you. And today, take a step of faith and say, I'm going to yield myself completely to him. Once again, Jesus will be the point of my life. So I'm gonna pray. And then while I'm praying, my is that you would move. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity today. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit moving in us. God, I thank you that um, today you call us, Lord, to, um, to just come to you with reckless abandon. To not just let you be a part of our life, but for you to be the whole life. For you to be um, everything, God. Lord, I pray that you would just speak to people's hearts. God, I thank you that you are more powerful than than the words we say. God, I thank you that you're more powerful than the songs we sing. God, we need you. We need you in this place. We need you in our lives, Lord. God, I pray that for the person here who doesn't know you, that your spirit would draw them to you, Lord. God, I pray that for the person um, who... uh, God has maybe, uh, the relationship with you just grew cold, and, and they began to focus on the things that they had to do rather than the things that uh, would lead them to you, Lord. I pray that they would put their eyes on you. God, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for the grace and the power of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. I hope you guys.